Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Questo suono dal Sud America fino giù in Senegal profumo d'Africa nella Nuova Guinea la sentirai in Albania che assomiglia a casa mia riparte dal Belgio arriva in Croazia Slovacchia Polonia e Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. I am convinced that we have the best fans in the world. So I wanted to give our fans all over the world a platform where they can tell their stories and together we can continue to grow this amazing community. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're heading back to New York for today's episode. Today's guest will soon be the proud owner of the newest Pizzeria Napolitana in New York. We'll talk about that in a minute. Dan Nizardini, welcome to Forza Napoli. Thanks, Joe. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm very excited to hear your story. I'm sure anyone who's interacted with you on social media is probably very excited to hear it as well. We've actually planned to do this episode a while ago, just we both have very busy schedules, so it's it's really exciting to finally have you on. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the retreat at Di Mauro Folgarida. We're recording on Tuesday, so the club's been there for just under a week now. Rudy Garcia gave his first press conference since his presentation in June. Mauro Meluso was presented as the new sporting director. There was a fan event on Monday with Garcia, Juan Jesus, and Pierluigi Golini. And the big name players are now slowly starting to trickle in. And Gisa arrived on Sunday, Simeone on Monday, and a whole bunch of players on Tuesday, including Victor Osiman. So we'll cover various different topics from the Retiro. But we always start these episodes with our guest story. So Dan, without further ado, how did you become an Apple fan? Well, typical story, but not so typical. So all of my roots in New York, eventually lead back to Naples. All ships lead back to Naples. So I'm 31 years old, so Syria in the early 2000s was fairly exciting. 
I slowly became a fan of the sport, even though America's soccer is usually the unwanted stepchild kind of situation. It wasn't really a big sport in my family, but for me, it seems like the coolest thing ever, seeing all the fans singing together. And it was pretty much no question for me. I needed to find out where Napoli is, because when I started, the first year I started watching Serie A was the year we had Eddie Reja as coach, and we won the last game but still got relegated. So that should have been my first clue that this isn't going to be the easiest ride for me. <laughs> so talk a little bit more about that then, because as you said, Napoli got relegated. Were you able to still follow the club as they, they went down into the lower divisions or Serie B and then now, obviously, as they came back up, and as most people know, back then it wasn't as accessible as it was as it was today. You didn't get to see every match, and maybe you were lucky to catch one. You know, if we played against one of the bigger clubs or whatnot, it's probably more looking at things online, highlights, maybe even reading the papers. How did you follow the club? So my family, they all come from a Italian American neighborhood. I moved out of there when I was very young, in the Bronx, Arthur Avenue, and that's where I would go to watch games. There'd usually be one or two stores that would show them, and it would usually be one month a game. That's how I would stay in touch, going up, picking up the Italian newspapers. That was the only way I could really follow it until around 2007, once Mr. De Laurentiis took over, and the internet really started getting more popular that I was able to follow everything through the internet, more or less, because watching Syria B in the United States in the early 2000s, that was a tough ask. So you have a few other connections to Napoli besides just simply being Italian. I, I think you're also Argentinian, and the obvious connection there is through... Well, I'm, act I'm actually not. I'm just extremely... Oh, you're not. No, I'm just <laughs> okay. So I thought I, you're so passionate about Argentina. I, like you're a big Boca fan. I just assumed that you were part Argentinian. So you're not even Argentinian. You just have a, a passion for Argentinian football. <laughs> no, so I'm a classically trained chef, and I spent a significant amount of years working with wood fire cooking. And a few of the restaurants I worked at did Argentine style asado, and that was my entryway to start doing the research beyond just the XYZ of do this, do that. I wanted to know the why behind everything and the culture, the history, all of that. And obviously being in love with our soccer club, Maradona is a saint. So Boca was his first love. So that meant I love Boca. <laughs> so that means it was an easy shoe-in for me to start paying attention. And I just fell in love with the culture, the food, how passionate their soccer fans are. It's contagious. So that's where that came in. Okay. What's really cool about your story is that your two passions have kind of merged together, or they kind of follow parallel straights, if you will. Like you mentioned, being a, a classically trained chef and... Argentinian food asado and that kind of married with supporting Boca also you know with Maradona 
I mentioned it in the introduction, but you're about to open your own pizzeria, which we'll talk about in a second. Obviously, it's Napolitana style. What came first, the the support for the soccer team or the passion for food? So it's a bit of a chicken or the egg situation. But so I started working in this industry really when I was 13, but let's say 14. And I started in baking and pastry. And it was never really so much a passion of mine. It was just a job. And the passion didn't only really come through until the holiday season, seeing everybody really excited to pick up the Struffli, to pick up the Pastiera, those kind of things. And Italian-American, the holidays are the only time family comes together sort of situation with how far away everybody lives. So that was the root of the food being a passion and the culture mixing. But it really wasn't until I had the fortunate situation to go to Naples a few times. And that's what blew my mind because being from New York, we're touted as a Mecca of pizza and we are of a specific style. And a lot of places here are labeled Neapolitan, Napolitana, whatever word they use. And that's not what they're really making. And going to Naples and having that experience was like a drug for me. So it was a chasing the dragon kind of situation that I needed to recreate that experience that I had. And at that time, it was around 2006, 2007, there was really one or two places in all of North America that were making legitimate Neapolitan pizza. And there wasn't much information out there to learn on your own. So it really wasn't until years down the line, after I pursued traditional fine dining cuisine, that I was able to have access to the information and many places started opening that were trying to make the style of pizza that I was able to go down that route. But it's about the same time. <laughs> Napoli and food really took the main center in my lifetime. So I think I know the answer. Probably most people know the answer. But just to, because I know how passionate you are specifically about pizza and how knowledgeable you are about pizza, just to give people a sense and, and go into whatever level of detail you want. But how would you describe the difference between New York style pizza and Napolitana pizza? So the first two are the flour and the bake time. So New York, you're doing minimum three and a half minutes, sometimes seven minutes, depends on the oven. So you're cooking in American freedom degrees, 500 <laughs> to 700 degrees. Neapolitan, traditional Neapolitan by textbook has to be over 850 degrees Fahrenheit, which would be about 425 Celsius. So that's cooked in a minute at most, and you're preserving the freshness of everything. The fats and the cheese haven't broken down, so it's just this pop of color and flavor and freshness, and it's soft and melts in your mouth. Whereas New York pizza, it's cooked longer and starts to look, taste, and feel more like bread. It has the crunch. It has 
a different experience. The cheese and the sauce is cooked much longer and slower on the pizza, so it becomes more of a meld all together kind of scenario instead of hearing each instrument in the orchestra. So it's a different experience, but also the history of New York pizza. It's everybody pretty much that immigrated to New York from Italy left from the port of Naples. That's an exaggeration, but a huge percentage. If Even if you're not from Naples, that's where you left from. So, so many of the immigrants had an experience and idea of Neapolitan pizza, but when they arrived here, we didn't have the oven or the tools to recreate that style of pizza. So that's where New York pizza comes from. It's baked in a bread oven because that's what we had. It's cooked at this temperature because we didn't have a small oven with a small mouth to reach a thousand degrees. So that's where this style comes in. And that's why it's delicious as well. You know, when I think of a, an American style pizzeria, you're often thinking of pizzas that, yeah, you might order a whole pie and pick it up or whatever, but sometimes you're going in and grabbing a slice that was cooked like an hour ago. If you do that with a Neapolitan pizza, it's not going to be that great, right? Like <laughs> you try to you try to do takeout with a Neapolitan pizza, it gets kind of chewy. And, you know, was, did that factor into the thinking behind it or was it just strictly related to the the equipment because obviously nowadays we have other equipment but we still have two very distinct styles of pizza or maybe that's just because of people got used to it and they liked it so we kept making it it's a little bit of that it's also a lot of the fact that pizza here instead of being a personal thing that you would go and get yourself it would be something that you would get either on the way to the factory or on the way back for the family. So it was always something that it would be a group of people sharing more so than a full meal for yourself, which was pretty much what a pizza can be. So a Neapolitan pizza, sorry. I have to get used to saying full. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just naturally think when you describe pizza, are you just naturally thinking of Neapolitan because that's what At you this at this point, yes. After the past seven years or so, it, it's become that, especially now. So the past eight months or so, I've been working as well as opening my own place. I've been working at the New York location of Pizzeria da Michele. So I was on the opening team and that was the best experience in my career, without question. I've worked with, I won't mention names, I've had Great jobs before, worked for famous people, amazing experiences, but this surpasses that in every level. And it's a little bit of like seeing a ghost you thought you knew could exist, but everybody said, no, it doesn't. Or it's like the 50 foot great white kind of thing, because from culinary school to all the jobs I had before and after school, I always said, there should be a place making Neapol traditional Neapolitan pizza. And everybody says it has to be crunchy. It has to be this. It has to be that. It can't be too legitimate because it won't sell in America. But now here's this place that's doing 400 covers a night. Clearly it sells in America. <laughs> that's a good segue to opening up your own shop. Like that 
is a bold decision to make, obviously, you know, to leave, leave the comfort of a regular sort of steady paycheck and venture off on your own and make a, a significant investment in all that it takes that, you know, you're sitting in the shop. If anyone hears a little bit of noise in the background, it's because you're literally constructing the shop as we're speaking and it's very yep. being done, you know, with the pizza oven and the, the furniture, the, the finishes, all of that stuff. What was the process in your mind and, and how did you convince yourself to take this chance, right? Because there's, there's obviously some risk involved. Well, for the past five years or so, I've had some comfortable but nice leadership roles with some places that have had some awards and are touted as being the leaders in the industry of this style of food and service. And eventually I realized I could do this too. <laughs> so I've been in the industry, as I said before, my whole life. and. I've just learned from so many other people, either whether they were nice and grateful enough to teach me something or if I learned from their own mistakes. So it's something that I just live in and breathe it and can never get away from it kind of situation. So I saw the opportunity. There's a huge need in the market for this style of service, this style of food in this area, because where it is, it's 20 miles north of the city. So it's the gateway of the Hudson Valley, it's the gateway to the city. It's a hundred yards from New Jersey. So it's a crossroads place. There's a significant population that lives here, a significant Italian American population that lives here. And there's a lot of people that commute to and from the city every day and there's a lot of people that are moving from the city every day up here so they're also used to these kind of elevated experiences in different culinary contexts but there aren't so many places in the area that can execute that and there's going to be people that see that hole in the market and do it so I wanted to be the one to do it. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Have you picked a name for the restaurant yet, or is that top secret? Or Yes, it's Pizza Tiello, which has been difficult for people to say. But <laughs> <laughs> in the Neapolitan language, it pretty much means a small little hole-in-the-wall niche kind of location. And we're about... 25 table seats and another 10 bar seats. So we're just under 40 seats. It's an old building in the Hudson Valley where it's one of the few places in North America that has generations of history. So there's a good energy about it that was undeniable. Yeah, so obviously a lot of thought went into the whole concept from the location, the style of food, the the demographics of the area. Last question before we move on to talk about some stuff about the club. Uh, when are you planning on opening? We are hopefully opening the middle of August. Okay, perfect. So yeah, what we'll do is uh, as we get closer, we'll make sure to share that on all the social media channels and spread the word as best as uh, we can and get some people into the shop. I guarantee you, I mean, all you need to do is take one bite and then 
people will be coming back anyway. So I don't need to do a whole lot of promotion here other than try to get people there. But yeah. I have exactly. no doubt in my mind it's going to be a huge hit. And and will it be the, the future home of the Tri-State Napoli Club as well? Is that is that in yeah. discussions? It will be one, one of them. We'll uh, be hosting a lot of events, a lot of friends and family events, parties, these kind of scenarios. So it's going to be like the Tri-State Social Club. Amazing. All right, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk a little bit about some of the talking points that we've gotten so far from the retreat at the model. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No! Welcome to part two of the Fortinopoly podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fortinopoly pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at fortinapolypress.com. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what we've seen and learned from the retreat at DiMato so far. If anyone's interested, I posted the full press conferences in English from Garcia and Meluso. I don't know if I'll do that for every press conference because it takes forever and they're so long that probably no one will actually sit there and read the whole thing, but I'll definitely be posting key takeaways from uh, press conferences because those seem to be quite popular. And I wrote one of those pieces on Garcia's press conference on Saturday. We'll probably spend most of this part talking about that one because I don't know, Dan, if you saw Mauro Meluso's first presentation or his first press conference there, but I thought it was really a huge waste of time. Um, for those who, who didn't watch it or read about it, it was clear that Meluso literally just arrived at the club before he, he gave that presentation. It was it was his first day on the job, so he didn't provide any insight into the Mercato, which was obviously what the media were curious about. He just kept on saying, look, guys, I, I just got here. I need to have meetings with the staff. And and I think his first meeting with the staff was on Monday. So the day after that presentation, he used a lot of words, but he didn't say a lot, if that makes sense. Actually, it was kind of funny because I guess it was just kind of like a natural sort of, you know, like when you're talking, you say things like, you know, or um, where he kept on saying in short, in short, in short, and then he would ramble on and on and on. And there was nothing short about what he was saying, <laughs> but then he still didn't actually say that much. So, you know, I don't think the club put him in a great position by presenting him immediately upon his arrival. On the other hand, I wonder if maybe that was intentional because they sort of fulfilled their obligation of presenting him to the media, but he couldn't give away any real details because he actually genuinely didn't know anything. <laughs> For me, though, the key takeaway from Luzo's presentation, or or at least the impression that I was left with, is that the club's dealings on the transfer market will be a group effort between Meluso, Maurizio Micheli, who's the head of scouting, Giuseppe Pompilio, who was Juntoli's right-hand man, so he's also sort of head of scouting, Andrea Cavelli, who I believe is a managing director now, 
and of course De Laurentiis. And as I mentioned last episode, I think Meluzo's role will just be to facilitate the internal dialogue, whether it's between the scouts and the coach, or the scouts and the owner, or the coach and the owner. He's kind of that that middle person between all of those different levels. But let's see. I think we'll understand Meluzo's role better once he's had a chance to immerse himself into the club and you know really get his his hands dirty but back to Garcia one of the key takeaways for me from his press conference was that he wants to train the current players first he wants to see them with his own eyes before determining who should stay and who should go that likely means we won't see much activity on the Mercato anytime soon then we've seen Juventus and Inter and Milan be very active already. Even Roma's made a number of sort of free transfers. Are you concerned that Napoli are perhaps being a little bit too casual with the current Mercato? I'm both absolutely not concerned and a little bit concerned. <laughs> I have like a, a running joke that don't read anything in July because we're going to be signing everybody, selling everybody. Uh, Last summer, we were being bought out by someone from the Middle East and A16, so I'm still scarred. I thought Thomas Rodriguez was coming, all these <laughs> Cavani's coming back. So July is a difficult time, but we won the league by how many points? We're sitting pretty comfortably. We don't exactly need to be on the offensive and signing so many players like the other teams you mentioned need to be and they are being proactive in doing those things but they're also selling so they're replacing more so than reinforcing but i think we're being very responsible about this the manager is not coming in saying i want this this and this he's saying let me see how everybody performs from what i've seen from garcia he's played in multiple formations before. He's not a one-trick pony, so he may want to see the flexibility of the squad. We have a few players that could play multiple roles. I'm still a little bit pained about Kim. That's the only one that kind of concerns me because to find a good center back on the market is not easy, so that is something we should be proactive about, but beyond that, there's nothing to worry about. I'm pretty much in a full agreement with that. Kim, by the way, we finally got the official announcement. Just, you know, we're recording on Tuesday, just uh, around one o'clock. It just came, I don't know, an hour ago. It was every day. We <laughs> I was joking about this in our group chat that every day Fabrizio Romano or Nico Skira or, you know, these transfer guys would have breaking news. The deal is still almost done. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we, we use the term breaking news very loosely these days, but today was the, the actual breaking news that the deal did finish. And, and you know, there, it sounded like maybe it got hung up a little bit by some of the legalities on future sell on percentages and things like that. But we did all know. I, I do think that is the one. It's important to remember that just because we don't know or you know, we see various rumors and we hear about being linked to guys like Koei Takura and then we find out that he's going to stay at Borussia Mönchengladbach that we feel like maybe they're not doing enough. But that's only what we know. Like for me, the fact that nobody expected Rudy Garcia to be the coach, the fact that nobody expected Mauro Meluso to be the sporting director, 
that tells you that things are being worked on that even the best transfer guys have no idea about. So that gives me a little bit of comfort in knowing that there's probably a whole bunch of work happening in the background that we just don't know about. And it makes us think that nothing is happening. But to your point, we have the least work to do, right? For us, the most important things are things like making sure we don't lose OC men or that we don't sell Cavada. And in all likelihood, those guys are both going to stay. Absolutely, we need to replace Kim. And then one thing that Garcia also commented on that seems like his priority is what he described as doubling the quality at certain positions, which I think is just another way of saying improving the depth of the squad, right? And one position that he seems to be pretty focused on is Angisa's or having a backup Angisa. Now that maybe that's because he's cognizant of the fact that Angisa and Osimen will be at AFCON in January. And in Osimen's position, we still have Simeone, we have Raspadori, so we have really good depth there. But in the midfield, we're a little bit light. We don't really have a backup Angisa. We don't have a backup Lobotka, really. I mean, there's lots of reports about Diego Demme being linked to Hertha Berlin, possibly in a swap deal for Lucas Tussart. There's various reports on these, and you never know how seriously to take them because there's also reports that Demme may not go, but we may still go after Tussart. He's a former Garcia player. He's a bit more physical, which is something that Garcia wants. He's, he made that clear that he wants a team that's very physical. And I guess the breaking news, if you want to call it that, from that press conference was that he confirmed that Maxime Lopez, who's a guy that we all thought was going to come to be the Demme replacement, is not coming. He said he doesn't have the profile that the club is looking for, which, I mean, you're shaking your head. I'm a little bit disappointed about that. <laughs> that was honestly my number one signing for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> as funny as that sounds, because we really need another Laboka, and that's as close as we're going to get to someone that could fill in in that position. He could also play in the double pivot. I understand he's not that physical, and that seems to be what Rudy is looking for, but simply as a rotational player, he's offering so much value that I can't even express. So Laboka needs a day off at some point, and when he's not on the field, we're a different team. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, you want a physical team, but that doesn't mean that every single player needs to be physical, right? Like you want to have a good balance. Lebok is not the most physical guy. I mean, he tries to body people, but just by virtue of his size, he's not going to be as imposing, let's say, as a guy like Angisa. I feel like the interest in Tussar, if it's actually the case, is that he could perhaps double as both a backup to Lobotka and to Ngisa, and, and flexibility is certainly going to be important. I mean, we talked about using different formations. That's something that Garcia kind of alluded to in the press conference as well, which is that we're all pretty clear he's going to play a 4-3-3, but he did say you need to have a plan B and a plan C, and that could mean playing in different formations depending on the circumstances. So he needs to have guys that have that flexibility. Another interesting point that he made in the conference was that he said everywhere he's gone, he's always kept a youth player with the senior team. And that's why he's called up so many of the youth players. I hope somebody's filled him in on our youth team, because if he hasn't heard, they just got relegated. (laughs) And I I don't think he's going to find much to keep from that squad. Although we have some former Primavera players that, I think 
might be worth a, a look. You know, Ambrosino's the guy that everybody has come to know. He's he's done really well. He did really well for Napoli's Primavera. He did really well for the, I think it was the Italy U23 team. In Serie B, he did okay. It was his first professional season. He spent half the season at Como, and then I think the other half at Cittadella, and, and he was okay. I think he he didn't really get as much opportunity. But I, I just feel like the number nine, I'm, again, I mentioned Osimhen, Simeone, Raspadori. We have so much depth there that I doubt Ambrosino is going to be the guy. The one guy that I think might actually crack the squad or has probably the greatest potential to is Michael Foloruncho, who had probably his best professional season last season at the body on loan. And he is a big kind of physical imposing Gisa type player with an absolute rocket of a shot. And that's a, that's another thing. I think he mentioned it on at the fan event on Monday night where I think someone asked about scoring from outside the area because that dropped significantly last season. And he said, yeah, we, you know, if we're playing against teams that are going to play low block and defend deep, you know, it's useful to have guys that can score from outside the area. So I'm kind of leaning towards uh, Foloruncho as maybe the guy that he's referring to, but we'll have to wait and see. Koli Sako is another one who has a similar physique, but I think he's still too raw. I think he needs more time to develop in Serie B. The other thing I wanted to ask you, which is kind of along the same vein, is that we've seen a whole bunch of people step down recently. Like, obviously, Spalletti, we know. Juntoli, we know. Who, by the way, Juntoli gave an interview to Tuto Mercato Web. I think they published it this morning. And he finally decided to, you know, thank Napoli for the opportunity and the fans in the eight years. Like the first thing that came out of his mouth that kind of pissed people off was, uh, I've always been a Juventino my whole life. And then like a week later, he says, you know, I, I think he saw the backlash online or whatever in the papers and, and decided to thank the club. But anyway, Juntoli's gone. Then Alessandro Formizano, who was our head of sales operations and marketing or something like that he stepped down after 17 18 years with the club and then the most recent one was our athletic trainer francesco sinati who recently resigned you know just like i asked if you're concerned that we're not doing enough on the mercato are you concerned at all that with all of this turnover at the management level only because there's always going to be growing pains but it just seems like Similar with our players last year, it's just the end of a cycle. When you've been at a place for so many years, eventually it's time to retire and move on. And sometimes it's the best thing for everyone involved to get some new air into the space. So I'm not too concerned. I think it, it might be something we need. It might be part of us leveling up now. I'm a little on the fence on this one. On the one hand, I think... We all kind of know the reason why people in management level leave Napoli, and it's because the person they report to. <laughs> the fact that Juntoli lasted eight years, or that Formizano lasted 17 years working wow. for De Laurentiis, I mean, that is a special human being. Because <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't know how many people can last that long. But then at the same time, I, I think... If you look a little bit closer, there's reasons for some of the changes at the management level. I personally think, like I did a whole segment on Valentina De Laurenti's last episode, and she's been getting so much praise from Napoli fans 
she's just a very refreshing personality compared to her father. She seems very down to earth. She interacts with the fans. She's taking pictures at the model. They're, you know, they're, they're singing the usual chants, uh, you know, Campioni one and Saro content stuff. And she's joining in and singing along and dancing. So she's been very well received, but she's also a very smart woman and, and she has a background in, in the fashion industry. So I think for Mizano, I don't know if he actually resigned or if he was, asked to resign because i think valentina is his replacement even if an official announcement hasn't been made and then for sinati i mean people are suddenly running out of energy it seems because <laughs> one thing that garcia confirmed in the press conference was that he told sinati that he proposed he would have the same title as paulo rangoni who's the athletic trainer that came with garcia so they'd be at the same level and he said Sinati told him he doesn't have the energy for another season. He seemed to have the energy until a week ago. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, so it, it seems like, I guess, maybe he was insulted that another athletic trainer came. And I think he's he has every right to feel that way, probably. Because if you think back, before last season, we had back-to-back seasons where we had a lot of injuries and, and they all seemed to happen at the same time. And I think one of the big reasons for our success last season was that we had significantly fewer injuries, especially to key guys like Osimhen. I mean, he still got injured here and there. And I think a lot of the credit for that reduction in injuries has to go to Sinati. So, you know, looking at it from his standpoint, he's sitting there thinking, we just won the Scudetto for the first time in 33 years. A big reason for that was because we didn't have that many injuries, which is a credit to the athletic trainer. Why are you bringing in another athletic trainer? Right, that is <laughs> that is insulting. At the same time, like you said, we turned over the entire squad almost last season, and that went really well. We do have to sort of put our faith in De Laurentiis and some of the decisions that he's making. The fans have changed their opinion on him because last summer he didn't even show his face. Everyone was wearing the A16 T-shirts that you mentioned, and now this year he's signing autographs and he's welcoming people into the uh pitch there like he's i don't know uh, just a regular employee i mean yeah now he's kissing babies (laughs) exactly he's like it's i don't know what the hell is going on it's (laughs) yeah so i'm sure you know if we lose a couple games he'll be he'll be the first guy that gets torched again but so far i think we just have to put our trust in him and and see where it goes trust the process yeah exactly and so maybe we'll we'll close on this then. And this is probably not fair for me to ask anybody this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. You know, with all the changes we've seen, the coach and the sporting director in particular, how do you feel at a very early stage about Napoli potentially repeating? Because some people are saying Inter are now the favorites. I mean, most sports books, I think, have them. Napoli as slightly, slightly better favorites or, or close to Inter and then Milan and Juve after that. How are you feeling about Napoli retaining this title? Not so bad. When I'm not up all night having panic attacks about my restaurant, I'm up all night watching videos of Rudy Garcia in the past, and I'm shaking back and forth going, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay. And my girlfriend wakes up asking, why are you watching some Frenchman? <laughs> but... <laughs> but uh, with a funny toupee. But I think he's actually the right choice at this time. It seems to be an easy transition from Spalletti. He's 
not too different. He's definitely different, but I think we're still forward progress kind of scenario. We're still going in the right trajectory. We're still a significant amount ahead of a lot of the other teams in the league. Now, we don't know how they're going to reinforce and how those squads will meld together and even who's going to be the manager of other squads when the season starts. There's always absolute drama leading into the start of the season in Serie A, so who knows, but I feel pretty confident. Stas ends up Enzia is how I feel. It's going to be okay. We're going to be yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you say that as you laugh nervously. I mean, I, I responded, uh, I did a, a tweet about all the people leaving, and there's lots of reactions to that. And one of the responses I used was the the gif of like the dog in the burning house and, and like the sub the caption is it's gonna be fine and he sips his coffee fine. right like it's, it's sort of like we're all we're all a little bit nervous but saying that it's gonna be okay but I do agree I think one thing I can say confidently after watching that press conference with Garcia on Saturday is that he's definitely the right personality and character to succeed Spalletti. I mean for one, it's it's refreshing that he doesn't speak in poems and riddles like Spalletti did. He just kind of <laughs> speaks clearly and it's easier to understand and much easier to translate. Trying to translate Spalletti's press conferences into English is impossible because he it's just metaphors and, and they don't translate well, whereas Garcia is pretty straightforward and clear. I agree it's it's a change, but it's not a dramatic change. He's not coming in and you know, he's not changing to a 4-4-2 like a certain famous coach did a couple seasons ago, and we saw how that went. He's not asking and demanding for all these players. He's perfectly content with the squad. Similar to Spalletti, actually, when he arrived, he said, I don't need, I'm good with this squad. Ironically, he won it after we changed the whole squad, <laughs> but it wasn't because he asked for it, right? And, and Garcia's kind of been the same way. And and I also feel like he has the right personality to coach a team who just won the Scudetto. And that's something he commented on as well, that I think one of the reasons why he was hired after listening to him speak was that he stayed at Lille after they won Liga in 2010 or 2011. And he admitted that it didn't go exactly how they wanted to the following season. I think they finished third. They still qualified for the Champions League, which is not as easy in the French League because there's a, a playoff. Only two teams qualify automatically, and then there's a playoff for the third spot, and they won that playoff. He said maybe even he was a little bit inexperienced at the time. So he's going to learn from that. And he said that his primary objective now is to work on the mentality of the players. Because it's easy both for the, the players and for the coach, again, referring to that time at Lille, to sort of let their guard down or maybe take things for granted. So his objective is to ensure that they play at a very high level. And he said they can't actually do worse than that or at least if they do he can always tell them no 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 you guys showed me what you're capable of doing last season you won the league by almost 20 points so now he's going to hold them to that standard and and his role primarily is going to be to ensure that they they continue to play at that level so so far you know again you know everything's fine while the house is burning down but um we'll put our confidence in garcia until he gives us any reason not to then that's all we have time for today. It absolutely flew by as I knew it would. But thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. Great to see you from this side.
<laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we don't get to interact by video a whole lot. It's a lot of text, but um, and I'll definitely be making my way down to New York when the restaurant opens to to have uh, a slice of pizza or, or whole pizza actually. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. So you can find Dan on Twitter at Dishwashing Dan, which I, I love that handle as well because <laughs> every, anyone yeah. in the restaurant industry starts out as the dishwasher, right? And it's like, yep. that's maybe how you still think of yourself in certain ways. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a dishwasher that kept showing up to work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Dishwasher that makes some of the best pizza in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket D5, and you can find the podcast at Fortsonapoli Pod. If you like the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast platform. That always helps. I will be back soon with more coverage of the model. We have our first friendly on Thursday, which I don't know how much we're going to have to say from that. We usually win the first one like 15-0 or 20-0 or whatever, but I'll be back probably sometime at the end of the week. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Fortsonapoli Sempre. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.